0: So we are starting the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and today there's really only one theme, as you, if you did the homework you would notice that, but it's a very important theme. So we're going to try to, as best we can, study it threadbare from different angles of vision so that we hopefully have a clear understanding of the Lord's impartiality um, when we end in an hour and a half from now. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo
1: Bhagavate
0: Vasudevaya,
1: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Okay, so Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto
0: 7, Chapter 1. The Supreme Lord is equal to everyone. And uh we are going up to verse 8. Om Ajnana Tamirandasya jana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militam Yena Shri Namaha King Parikshit inquired, My dear Brahmana, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu being everyone's well-wisher is equal and extremely dear to everyone. How then did he become partial like a common man for the sake of Indra and thus kill Indra's enemies? How can a person equal to everyone be partial to some and inimical to others? Lord Vishnu himself, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is a reservoir of all pleasure. Therefore, what benefit would he derive from siding with the demigods? Like, there's no pleasure in siding with one or siding with the other, in material sense at least. What interest would he fulfill in this way? Since the Lord is transcendental, why should he fear the, as- the asuras? And how should he, uh, and how could he be envious of them? O greatly fortunate and learned Pramana, whether Narayana is partial or impartial has become a subject of great doubt kindly dispel my doubt with positive evidence that Narayana is always neutral and equal to everyone. The great sage Sukadeva Goswami said, My dear king, you have put before me an excellent question. Discourses concerning the activities of the Lord, in which the glories of his devotees are also found, are extremely pleasing to devotees. Such wonderful topics always counteract the miseries the miseries of the materialistic me, way of life. Therefore, great sages like Narada <clears throat> always speak upon Srimad Bhagavatam because it gives one the facility to hear and chant about the wonderful activities of the Lord. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto my guru, he's, you know, Srila Vyasadeva, and then begin describing topics concerning activities of Lord Hari. So this is very nice, isn't it? That Sukadev Goswami, and in several places we hear this from Sukadev Goswami and Sutta Goswami, just how they just love good questions. You know, a speaker, uh, speakers have that uh, same experience that, um, when you, when you hear a really good question, it's so, um, it's very inspiring. It means, first of all, the person is listening and thinking about what you're saying and um, giving you a chance to clarify something that might be unclear, like here, uh, Prichit Maharaj is saying, "This is this is causing me a great doubt." So he's getting an a, a uh, opportunity to clarify things. And you know, I think we spoke about this before that it's it's not quite as enlivening when you're giving a talk or a class, babachan uh, and someone asks a question that had nothing to do with what you're talking about. I mean, you know, it's okay because there's something that's on their mind, but it's, it's really nice when questions are pertinent to the, uh, topic under, under examination. So here Sukadeva Goswami is saying this is great. It's an opportunity to talk about the Lord, to talk about his devotees. Um, they, they these, these topics counteract the miseries of materialistic life. Narada Muni did this. And, uh, so yes. Very good. And then in the purport, at the very end, Srila Prabhupada writes that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommends kirtaniya one should always engage in Krishna kata, kata by chanting and talking about Krishna and hearing about him. That is the only occupation for a Krishna conscious person. So you can imagine if someone asked you, what's your occupation? My occupation is hearing him and chanting about Krishna. <laughs> That's my job. Um, but that is the, uh, that is, um, oh, we even noticed this last week. I, like I was saying, oh, okay, are we done with the Bhagavatam? We chant, we read the first six cantos, and aren't you all tired? Uh, you know, And you were saying, no, no, you want to hear more. And it had nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with the Srimad Bhagavatam that you all want to take an hour and a half out of your Sundays. Uh, to hear the Srimad Bhagavatam is is a proof of what Sukadeva Swami is saying here and what Prabhupada is recommending to us. The Supreme Personality, oh, this is text six, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu is always transcendental to material qualities. And therefore, he is called Nirguna or without qualities. I know there's a, a very, very nice devotee, uh, a woman devotee, uh, Prabhupada gave her the name Nirguna. She lives in Vrindavan. Because he is unborn, he does not have a material body to be subjected to attachment and hatred. So there's, that's interesting, right? The, the connection, and this comes out in, in all of, many of the purports in this chapter. There's a connection between attachment and hatred or attachment and detail, whatever, and having a material body. Because it's not something I, you know, for me, at least it, it doesn't like immediately click but I had to think about it a little bit and think about the purports to see that connection. Although the Lord is always above material existence, uh, through his spiritual potency, he appeared and acted like an ordinary human being, accepting duties and obligations, apparently like a conditioned soul. So that's also really an important sentence, isn't it? That He he's above material existence, but he acts in a way that, Someone might say, well, isn't that partial or impartial? You know, accepting duties, dharma, um, obligations, apparently like a conditioned soul. My dear King Parikshit, the material qualities, sattva guna, raja guna, and tam- tamo guna, all belong to the material world and do not even touch the supreme personality of Godhead. These three gunas cannot act by increasing or decreasing simultaneously. Okay, now the verse under study. When the quality of goodness is prominent, the sages and demigods flourish with the help of that quality with which they are infused and surcharged by the Supreme Lord. Similarly, when the mode of passion is prominent, the demons flourish. And when when ignorance is prominent, the yakshas and rakshasas Rakshasha's flourish. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is present in everyone's heart, fostering the reactions of Sattva Guna, Rajo Guna, and Tama Guna. Okay, now let's look at this purport. So in the beginning, Prabhupada writes, The Supreme Personality of Godhead is not partial to anyone. Well, that's a pretty clear statement. The conditioned soul is under the influence of the various modes of material nature. And behind material nature is the supreme personality of Godhead, but one's victory and loss under the influence of Sattva Guna, Guna, and tamoguna are reactions of these modes, not of the Supreme Lord's partiality. So there's the first hint at, well, I mean, it's hinted in earlier purports, but I chose this purport to talk about um, so we, we've talked about this many times over the years that, you know, the, the modes of material nature, they are inert matter, but they're, in, they're injected with life, you could say, by the supreme personality of God. And, and it's through those modes of material nature, through the demigods, that this world goes on. So he's in the background. He's the creator of it, of his system. But he's not... um as we say in in English these days, he doesn't get into the weeds, <laughs> right isn't that a, a saying in corporate America or corporate world? yeah, we don't get into the weeds the uh, you know some of the details of of or you know the in this case the he doesn't uh he sets forth the material world, sets forth the living entities with their karma, but he doesn't show partiality one or to the other, even though one materially is victorious, one materially. Is defeated um, because that's on the material level, run by the three modes of material nature, the demigods, etc. It's not the Lord's doing. So let's see. At the end of this, well, let's see. In the um, in the middle of the purport, uh, Prabhupada talks about World War II and how um, the German people declared war against English to ruin them, but the result was that both parties were ruined. Although the allies were apparently victorious, at least on paper, actually neither of them were victorious. Therefore, it should be concluded that the Supreme Lord is not part. So he's, on Kri- Kri- saying that it wasn't like Krishna favored the allies. Um, they, people had their karma, they had their, uh, um, and, and of course, the British, um, uh, yes, you know, we, they, we won, they won the war. Right. Um, But how many people were killed? How many how much of London was ruined by the bombing? Right. You know, it wasn't like they were victorious in the sense of uh, everyone suffered. Put it that way. Everyone suffered. And so many people suffered all over the world. Uh, We forget, you know, know, India, somewhere between two and three million people died during the famine of, uh, I think, 1943, which at least is was connected to to the war. Um, people in uh, we don't even think about this, but people in China also so much suffering um, in the war. And, and then you see sometimes like certain countries in Europe where very few soldiers died, but then tens or hundreds of thousands of um, citizens, you know, unarmed citizens, passed away because they were they were in harm's way. So who won the war? Well, you know, no one in one sense, because it was suffering all around. <clears throat> and so that's you know kind of a point that Prabhupada is making here. So Krishna, you know, he didn't he he doesn't uh like take sides in such things, but people play out their their karmic um destiny. And in one sense, as we know from the nature of the material world, everyone kind of um suffers. As a matter of fact, the beginning of that purport says according to this statement of the Pagavata santarba the Supreme Lord being always transcendental to material qualities, is never affected by the influence of these qualities. This same characteristic is also present in living being in the living being, but because he is conditioned by material nature, because we're influenced by the three modes, even the pleasure potency of the Lord is manifest in the conditioned soul as troublesome. So it becomes a perverted pleasure potency. In the material world, the pleasure enjoyed by the conditioned soul is followed by many painful conditions, and then he talks about the wars. So, they, and of course, there was so many, so much pain uh, in the two great wars, and uh, and then he goes on to talk about World War Two in particular, a little bit more, and then we'll see what comments or questions you have. This is the last paragraph. The various modes of material nature do not work all at once. The interactions of these modes are exactly like seasonal changes. Sometimes there is an increment of Rajoguna, sometimes of Tamoguna, and sometimes of Sattva Guna. Generally, demigods are surcharged with Sattvaguna. Guna. And therefore, when the demons and the demigods fight, the demigods are victorious because of the prominence of their sattvaguna Guna qualities. However, this is not partiality, not the partiality of the Supreme Lord. So, well, meaning that a well, we're going to talk about this later, but a demon, a so-called demon, could work to acquire sattva guna and become a demigod. It doesn't have to remain a demon. It's our choices due to our karma and due to our so many different things our are four of and things like that. So any questions or comments so far? I guess no problem. Yes, no. I actually
2: when I was reading this thing, first thing came to my mind is Parikshit Maharaj was listening seriously, attentively listening all the Bhagavatam six cantos, like all the stories and things. And um, I do had uh, these type of questions in my mind about uh, injustification, neutrality, and all that stuff. And Parikshit Maharaj, when Parikshit Maharaj was asking, I was really wondering, uh, and. Uh, and actually that like the purports and the explanations were given properly. Uh, I I still have, I still think that um, that, that like, you know, uh, even though Indra does a lot of mischievous things in different places uh, uh, to protect him, Brahma comes in and then like Mahavishnu comes in. And uh, I see that like why, uh, even though Indra did some, stops in ignorant mode, uh, he he been protected all, all the time. Um, that I couldn't answer myself, Prabhu. Any, any explanation would be helpful.
0: Well, we're going to hear more about this in the subsequent verses. But he's. Uh, what is protection? It's just like in the Prithrasura Leela, he so called wins, but he actually is the loser. And Pratisr is the winner from the, on the spiritual platform, and and that is the. Um, I think I mentioned this before. That is also the speciality, if there's such a word, uh, or in this context of the Srimad Bhagavatam. I mentioned that other Puranas mention uh, put more emphasis on Indra in that pastime, but the. Bhagavad Purana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is emphasizing the spiritual, pure spirituality, you near know, Matsaram Satam, uh, puts the emphasis on Prichasura. And he was the real victor. Right? Not Indra. Indra had to stay in the material world and all that sort of stuff, but Prichasura um, was the victor. So it, victory or defeat on the material level, that's that is, that's Basically, what's being said in this chapter—that victory or defeat—is not—it's not partiality on credit. He's just giving people what they deserve and what they get due to their karma and due to the modes of material nature on the material level. Um, and we'll—you we'll, know—you're kind of jumping ahead in one sense to the other purports, but you know, but a very important verse is "Samoham <laughs> sarva that, that Prabhupada quotes several times here that Krishna is equal to everyone. No one is dear. No one is enemy. And then, and that's, but that's on the super soul material platform. Then, ye bhajanti tumam bhakti amayite teshu Chapyam. But he reciprocates the love of a devotee. Mm. But the, his partiality is that he gives everyone the opportunity to be a devotee. Some may take it, some may not. But he impartially he gives that opportunity. Okay. Other questions or comments? It's probably good to just keep going because a lot of things are answered or discussed further, at least in the next verse. So how about we do the next verse and then take comments? Is that right? Because right, I saw Andy, it looked like you wanted to say something.
1: I have too much to say, so we should just keep reading.
0: We'll go on to nine and then you can yeah. say it, okay? Cool. All right, text number nine. The all-pervading personality of God, it exists within the heart of every living being. And an expert thinker can perceive how he is present there to a large or small extent. Not not that the Lord is present to a large extent, but the the perception is to a large or small extent. Just as one can understand the supply of fire and wood, the water in a water pot, or the sky within a pot, one can understand whether a living entity is a demon or a demigod by understanding that living entity's devotional performances. A thoughtful man can understand how much a person is favored by this Supreme Lord by seeing his actions. Okay. Now, Prabhupada writes, um, he talks about a teacher, right? A teacher instructs a student if the student is capable of taking more and more instructions. Otherwise, in spite of being instructed by the teacher, the student cannot make strides in his understanding. This has nothing to do with partiality. When Krishna says, Tesham, Satata Yuktanam, Vajatam, Priti, Purvakam, the Dhammi, Buddhi Yogamtam, this indicates that Krishna is prepared to give Bhakti Yoga to everyone, but one must be capable of receiving it. That is the secret. So there you go. There's the secret. Thus, when a person exhibits wonderful devotional activities, a thoughtful man understands that Krishna has Uh, been more favorable to this devotee. And then going back, because he was capable of receiving it. This is not difficult to understand, but envious persons do not accept that Krishna has bestowed his favor upon a particular devotee in accordance with his advanced position. So this is a different point now Prabhupada is going to make. Such foolish persons become envious and try to minimize an advanced devotee's activities. That is not Vaishnavism. A Vaishnava should appreciate the service rendered by, to the Lord by other Vaishnavas. Therefore, a Vaishnava is described in Srimad Bhagavatam as nirmatsara, which means non-envious. Vaishnavas are never envious of other Vaishnavas or of anyone else, and therefore they are nirmatsaranam shatam. So that's a somewhat different point, but an important point that we should not be uh, envious. Matter of fact, if we see someone who... Is a better speaker than us, a better Kirtan. And we say, that's, look at how wonderful Krishna has bestowed that upon them. Um, okay, now I'm going to read a, from this second to last paragraph, about halfway down. The instructions of Bhagavad Gita are open to everyone. Okay, so this is the same point. Everything's, it's all open to everyone, but some people understand them properly, whereas others understand them. Uh, so improperly that they cannot even believe in the existence of Krishna, although reading Krishna's book. Although the Gita says Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, indicating that Krishna spoke, they cannot understand Krishna. This is due to their misfortune or incapability, which is caused by Rajoguna and Tamaguna, the modes of passion and ignorance. It is because of these modes um, that they cannot understand Krishna. Whereas an advanced devotee like Arjuna understands him and glorifies him saying param brahma, param Tama, pavitram paramam bhavam. You are the supreme brahman, the supreme abode and purifier. Krishna is open to everyone, but one needs the capability to understand him. Okay. Now a little now by external features, one cannot understand who is favored by Krishna and who is not. According to one's attitude, Krishna becomes one's one's direct advisor, or Krishna becomes unknown. So again, Krishna is reciprocating with our heart. But that's in part, you know, the point here is this is not Krishna's partiality, it is his response to one's ability to understand him. According to one's receptiveness, whether one be a devata, asura, yaksha, or rakshasa, Krishna's quality is proportionately exhibited. This proportionate exhibition of Krishna's power is misunderstood by less intelligent men to be Krishna's partiality. But actually, it is no such thing. Krishna is equal to everyone. And according to one's ability to receive the favor of Krishna, one advances in Krishna consciousness. Okay, You couldn't be clearer than those last few sentences of what's being said in this chapter. And then he says, Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur gives a practical example in this connection. In the sky, there are many luminaries. At night, even in darkness, the moon is extremely bright and can be directly perceived. The sun is also extremely brilliant. When covered by clouds, however, these luminaries are not distinctly visible. Similarly, the more one advances in Guna, the more his brilliance is exhibited by devotional service, but the more one is covered by Rajoguna and Tamoguna, the less visibility his brilliance, for he is covered by these qualities. The visibility of one's qualities does not depend on the partiality of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, it is due to various coverings in different proportions. So you, you get the idea, right? The, the sun, I think today, I haven't been outside yet. Yeah, it's a sunny day. But if it was cloudy, um, the sun is still providing sunlight totally. But the clouds are covering a small part of, of this world, you know. So it's not the sun's fault. The sun's just every day shining, you know, you could say impartially. Shining every single day, but sometimes there's clouds, sometimes there's not, and so we have clouded consciousness or clear consciousness by which we—it's we, due to our receptivity to the sun rays—that affects how much how much warmth we get, how much uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, thus, one can understand how far he has advanced in terms of sattva guna and how much he is covered by raja and tamaguna. Okay, now. We'll take a few. Andy, you want to say something?
1: I was just like almost overwhelmed by these, the gunas, the description of the gunas in this, in this particular reading. Because when you think about, when you look out at the world, all the colors, there are actually millions, trillions, almost uncountable colors. How many colors are there actually? Three, three. Have yeah. I told you that, you'd say, well, that, that's crazy. No, but then I would explain scientifically with uh could show you experiments right but yet the scripture is telling us something equally simple there are three gunas Mm. everything that happens everything in your personality everything in maya is really just three gunas and the only way you can prove it is with scripture but it is astounding that that's the simplicity of that explanation they're saying it's three things Mm-hmm. He's done everything we see with three things, <laughs> and we have this precedent in nature. We see all these colors with yep. three colors. But I was I was very really surprised when it said that water is in the mode of passion. They're saying fire represents a mode of goodness, water passion, and air ignorance.
0: Well, it, it, only in this context of this verse, not like that's not oh. an overall statement about everything, because we know water is purifying. Right? Uh, and we know and Christ, and also in the Gita Krishna says of purifiers I am the wind. Mm-hmm. But it was only it was only to in the context of this container. Um, but he's
1: still saying it.
0: Yeah, I know, but but we know but well you're bringing up you know, but we also know that elsewhere Prabhupada and Krishna say something different, and therefore we have to look at the context. And the context is about these containers.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. The frame of reference.
0: The frame of reference, exactly. That's th- super important to understand. Otherwise, you can get really confused.
1: Yeah. The other thing I want to mention is, I think we should be careful when we make statements about Krishna. You can make <laughs> lots of statements about what you should do about Krishna, how you should be absorbing Krishna. But when you make certain statements, you could be imposing on Krishna. Yes. yes. And that's very important. So you have to be careful. I mean, you could say something that sounds really great and actually be imposing that on Krishna. <laughs> yes. so we have, we have, I think – I would hope that everybody is careful of that because sometimes you hear something and you say, oh, that's borderline um, – I didn't know the word for it. But now it's an imposition on you're saying Krishna is this way, but yeah, he may not be that way like it's exactly like what you're thinking.
0: Well, Krishna did this. Oh, Krishna gave me a flat tire the other day. Well, you know, I mean, you, you, yeah, he's the ultimate. He doesn't give flat tires. Right. You know, he created tires and he, <laughs> he created the world and he created the, the rubber plants. Yes. You know, but uh, your karma, you know, the fact that you got a flat tire, it probably has a lot to do with your karma. Now, you know, if you're, a, a, when we start practicing bhakti, usually what happens, my understanding is that Krishna uses, he teaches us through our karma. Mm-hmm. Like you get a flat tire and you say, yeah, you know, this, this is the nature of this material world. Or, you know, the the uh, the guy, the uh, AAA person who comes and tows your truck, you know, give him some prasadam. Oh, well, maybe Krishna arranged that so that this person could start his devotional life, get some yeah. prasadam. Yeah. But, you know, Krishna gave me a flat tire. It's um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting.
1: Also, just one more little thing, uh, like uh, in reference to what Sakshi said. I think there's cases where mother Lakshmi can take a liking to you, right? And if she does, she can do all kinds of things for you. So she Mother may, Lakshmi. She may be partial to Indra and then that has carries a lot of weight. And that's <laughs> not anything directly about Krishna, but that's still a big factor. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the tricky thing with that is that Lakshmi is chanchala. So she can come for some time and then and then uh, you know, um, leave us. M- money is like that, unless we use money in Christian mm-hmm. service. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you for all that, Andy. Those are very good points. Very helpful. Thank you. Other thoughts, questions, comments.
3: Hare Krishna, Prabhu Anand Yes, Anand Rupa. So, Prabhuji, in this particular verse, I find it interesting that it's mentioned that. Uh, uh, one can understand whether a living entity is a demon or a divine god by understanding that living entity's devotional performance i guess we have to see it from perspective after going through the purport which you have just read uh, i'm trying not, not to think it from perspective of being judgmental about uh, you know any other devotee uh, you know what their uh, activities are yet uh, you know being a thoughtful to develop that ability of being thoughtful Um, you know to get the inspiration actually at the level of feeling inspired by observing the activities of elevated souls seeing them favored by supreme personality you know because um, hmm, there are so many things mentioned in this particular purport that when a person exhibits wonderful devotional quality activities a thoughtful man understands that krishna has been more favorable to this devotee only because because Bhagwan says in Bhagavad Gita, that particular verse, you know, one of the Chatur Shloki verses, the Yogam Tam." So on one side, emphasis has been given actually for quite a while that Krishna is impartial to everyone. Yet uh, it, it has been kind of mentioned in the Purpose again and again that Krishna helps. Krishna is prepared to give Bhakti Yoga to everyone, but he specially helps his devotees. And that we can see from their activities how they are performing different services or you know how they are conducting and so actually this particular verse gives a good understanding how one should not harbor any envy or you know to see it from the right perspective what others are doing versus what we are doing
4: really good
2: um, yes
3: you know and and of course you know we time and again like in different areas in the scriptures we have a clear understanding you know the, at different levels, being a neophyte, being a Madhya being a Tamadhikari, what are the different activities or uh, different ways, different levels of advancement in spiritual life. So, yes, this particular verse, these were some of the thoughts I was thinking, you know, I'm finding different things, different messages in this particular verse and the purport, yet it helps to gain more understanding that, we all have the gifts or the abilities and depending on the degree of surrender, you know, our engagement in trying to please Krishna, we may feel the reciprocation. So we should not just go by observing others or, you know, being judgmental about what others are doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Other questions or comments?
5: Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna and Thank you very much. Uh I have some questions with regard to the beginning questions that are put forward by Parikshit Maharaj.
3: Okay.
5: I just want to um get clarified that as Pariksha Maharaj by saying that uh the Supreme Lord become partial like a common man for the sake of Indra and thus kill Indra's enemy um and also like become a uh fear asuras and be envious of them like is parvikshi Maharaj referring to specific pastimes or he just saying uh like in general well
0: I, I had the same question um and I didn't I d don't have access to some of the acharya's commentaries um like I did for the sixth canto, for the seventh canto. So, um, my, I'm thinking that it's referring to Indra and, um, and Prithrasura. That was my, that was my thought, but I would like to confirm that, you know, because the last thing we heard was Indra and Diti, right? Um, and, but it's, but his question seems, Prikshan Maharaj's question into my limited understanding seems to be more directed towards something like, uh, like Indra and Prithasura than Indra and Ditti and the 49 Maruts, right? Uh, Marat. But it could be them also, I guess, I mean, cause they, well, they become friends of Indra, right? The 49 sons. Um, so that, that's the best. Yeah. I had the same question, Nandi Muki, <laughs> and, and the best I could think of. let's say, you know, for Indra, yes, because Indra, it's actually a good one with Indra, isn't it? Because he wins, but as we were saying earlier, he kind of like he loses also. He, he doesn't, he's, he's still in the material world and Britrasura has returned back to Godhead. So that really matches well with Prabhupada's purports where he says like Putana got a great benediction from Krishna. Krishna, you know, she tried to kill Krishna, but he just took it that she's trying to be my, ma- my mother and he, you know, he delivers her and then, then these really important verse in um, from 26 up to 32 in this chapter, which we'll cover a little later if there's time, um, also talks about this. But that's the best I could do. I, if I get a chance to do some more research, I will. Did you have another point, Muki Mantichi, David.
5: No, thank you so much. I'm I'm very glad to know that. <laughs> but i don't know <laughs> okay. and you have the same question and uh yeah, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
5: okay our question
0: yeah maybe Suganda can tell us what's really going on um,
3: there was somewhere a mention of um, in the Yudhishthira and um, they were performing that yagna um, they, uh, they saw that shishupal got um, liberation when he was killed um so, there was a question raised at, at that point, and then there came, a, there came a story of this, which we are going to go into. I'm not sure whether it happened before this conversation or it's going to happen that's again fine. because uh, Parikshit Maharaj had a question why
2: uh, he got liberation, Shishupal got liberation.
0: Yes, thank you. And, and the point about, uh, that you brought about, you just said that's going to come up in a few verses from now, isn't it? That, that example. Thank you. Okay, let's go on to verse number 12. So we're going to be reading uh, 10 and 11. It was hard to, you know, choose which verses, to, which purports to have you read because, you know, they're, they're all so meant, They're all um, on similar topics and they're all wonderful. When the Supreme Personality of Godhead creates different types of bodies, offering a particular body to each living entity according to his character and fruit of actions, his karma, the Lord revives all the qualities of material nature, sattva guna, rajo guna, and tamo guna. Then, as the super soul, he enters each body and influences the qualities of creation, maintenance, and annihilation using sattva guna for maintenance, rajo guna for creation, and tamo guna for annihilation. O great king, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the controller of the material and spiritual energies, who is certainly the creator of the entire cosmos creates the time factor to allow the material energy and the living entity to act within the limits of time. Thus, the Supreme personality of Godhead is never under the time factor nor under material. So not only is he not under the three gunas, he's also not under the influence of time. Um, so, and the last job, per- First, you know, it's Krishna creates the different bodies, um, offering a particular body basically according to what we deserve. So that's very similar to um, what we studied in, I think it's chapter 4, verse 16 of the Gita, um, you know, where Krishna says that... um, I'm not the. I created the Varnashram system. I created the society, social norms, and all that. But how who, how you're placed in the society that's not my doing. That's according to your qualities. So in chapter verse 12, O King, this time factor enhances the satvaguna. In this sense, I think time factor means like who lives and who dies. That's my understanding. Thus, although the Supreme Lord is the controller, because everyone dies ultimately, right? Everyone is under the control of time, including the demigods. Thus, although the Supreme Lord is the controller, he favors the demigods who are mostly situated in sattva guna. Then the demons who are influenced by tamaguna are annihilated. The Supreme Lord induces the time factor to set act in different ways but he is never partial rather his activities are glorious and therefore he is called urushva so sometimes the time factor is also another is used almost interchangeably with providence or karma just so you know you can see if that helps you understand this Prabhupada writes in the purport the first paragraph i'll read the lord says in bhagavad-gita and notice probably only quotes the first half samoham sarabhu teshu name i envy noam nor am i partial to every, anyone. i am equal to all the supreme personality of godhead cannot be partial he is always equal to everyone therefore when the demigods are favored and the demons killed this is not his partiality but the influence of the time factor A good example in this regard is that an electrician connects... Now, listen to this. You have to think about this example a little bit. The electrician connects both a heater and a cooler to the same electrical energy. Okay, so the electrical energy... I I tried to think about this a few minutes ago before class. Uh, The electric energy would be... um, I think, let's see if we get this right, like Krishna. And the cause of the heating and cooling... Is the electrician's manipulation of the electrical energy according to his desire? So, the heating and cooling, as far as I can see, would be the three modes of material nature. Um, and then the electrician, if I understand correctly, well, wait, no, well, the electrician is Krishna, it sounds. I, know, I, ha- I, th- I thought I had it figured out before. Let's see. But factually, the electrician has nothing to do. Okay, so. Krishna is obviously the electrician in this, right? He has nothing to do with causing heat or cold, nor with the enjoyment or suffering. So Krishna, there it is. He releases his energies, parashya shaktir, vividhaya suyate. And those energies um, um, can sometimes produce heat, sometimes produce cold, but it's, it's not the, uh, electrician. He just releases that, those energies. And then the energies act. And sometimes, uh, according to our karma, creating, you know, good and bad or heat and cold. But it's not the, uh, but the electrician is, is detached from the cause of the heat and cold. I hope that made sense. Um, and Prabhupada writes, he, and then he talks, he, he tells the past a little bit about the past time of Putana. The Lord killed Putana uh, as an enemy, but because of his being the supreme controller, she attained the exalted position of his mother. Ordinary So there's another, now another thing here is interesting. But ordinarily, a murderer is hanged. And in the Brahma Sankhita, it is said that a king bestows mercy upon a murderer by killing him, thus saving him from various kinds of suffering. Because of his sinful activity, such a murderer is killed by the mercy of the king. Krishna, the supreme judge, deals with matters in similar ways because he is the supreme controller. The conclusion, therefore, is that the Lord is always impartial and always very kind to all living entities. So it's just like the, the king is, did not force the murderer to kill someone, right? The murderer, based on his free will, killed someone. Um, so similarly, Krishna doesn't cause us to do right or wrong. It's it's our uh, free will that decides that. But we do get the consequences of that. Yeah. Now, in this case, you know, by the way, just as a, almost as an aside, um, we always have to look at things from the principle. So the principle here about uh, um, capital punishment, because it's a big topic, right, even in the world today, um, is about karma and actually freeing the person who committed such a heinous crime from the reactions for many, many lifetimes to come. Obviously, you know, when people are against the uh, capital punishment, they generally don't bring in this karma idea. So they're, they're basing it on another principle. Usually I think they say that it, it seems inappropriate to uh, deal with um, violence with violence, so they're they're looking at it from a different perspective, and devotees may may accept you know that as a you know an interesting thing to look at. Devotees are just looking at it you know based on a different principle, the principle of karma, and not um, you know what kind of example this sets. Another and, and another one might be a deterrent. Is it really uh, it, today at least? Is capital punishment a deterrent or not? So. My point is, it's a complicated thing, but our point is from, or at least the Shastrik point is from the role of karma. So we talked about a few things here in this purport. What are your questions or comments? <laughs> Guru Dasbhu asks about global warming. One would speculate it is a symptom of the age of Kali, extreme conditions causing extreme suffering. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't know if, the, if if there's any I don't think ISCON kind of has an official uh but what we do have is that the earth is called Bhumi or Mother Bhumi and we should have respect for the earth. And and uh the, the the a proper culture wouldn't have such Kali Yuga um uh pollutants and you know, we didn't uh, necessarily, you know, just want to rape the earth by, uh, you know, just over um, taking of an exploitation. So I guess uh, ideally we would try to, you know, encourage people to have simple living and high thinking. That's about all I can, you know, I don't know if there's any specific, I don't think there's any specific stance about global warming, but just in general, that we want to be re- we, we are respectful to the earth. Jay, did you want to say
5: something?
6: Yeah, I was just trying to like understand uh, how how these last few uh, verses are all connected. So can I just try and play it back and just tell me if I've got it right or wrong? So yeah. the Supreme Personality of Godhead offers uh, a particular body to an individual based on their um, character and of actions. Then he injects the three modes of material nature into that person, right? And then, and then the super soul enters. And once the super soul enters, everything gets stirred and it starts to kind of like connect and start working. Is that it? And then time factor comes in because, uh, because all the three modes of nature are influenced by time.
0: Well uh it's it's getting there <laughs> um you, you what you read into verse um
6: i think it's 10
0: 10 yes 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 so let's look at that and and again i i wish i had the commentaries like i did in the previous cantos um because when it says well so the first part i totally get right when the supreme personality of god it creates different types of bodies um Offering a particular body to each living entity according to his character and fruit of actions. So we all get that, right? You know, according, you know, there's the 8,400,000 different species, species. And, and, you know, the different species are ultimately created by the Lord. And we get a particular body based on our, our, our karma, you know, character and fruit of actions. Then the Lord revives all the qualities of material nature, um, Okay, so let's just look at that. That was the tricky thing. Let's see. When this when the Supreme Personality of Godhead creates different types of bodies, offering a particular body to each living entity, according to his character and food of activities, the Lord revives all the qualities of material nature. Then as a super soul, he enters each body and influences the qualities of creation, maintenance, and annihilation, um, using sattva guna for maintenance, raja guna for Creation. So when I read that uh, he, the, he enters each body, um, that's what threw me off. I never heard. I don't remember ever seeing that. You know, Krishna, ent- the three modes like enter the body. We are, you know, the um, the way creation takes place is that there's the Pradhan the unmanifested everything, and then Krishna sent, uh, injects. Uh, Sometimes that's Sadashiva or, or Lord Mahav- or Lord Vishnu. Injects the living entities, the time factor, and our karma. And then the, uh, the Pradhan becomes the Mahatattva. And the Mahatattva is divided into the three, uh, gunas. And in the mode of goodness comes manifest the mind, um, and the demigods. And then in the mode of passion is the intelligence. And I and I, I I'd have to look at a chart. And then in the mode of ignorance, the tanmatras, and uh, somewhere in there are the um, are the uh, what is it? The knowledge acquiring and working senses. Is that right? I have uh, to look. Um, um, so I, I usually I get I've always gotten the impression that you know the modes are there. I mean, of course, they're within us, right? We, you know, we all know what it's like when our mind is affected by the mode of passion, by the mode of goodness, by the mode of ignorance. We also know what our body is like, right? When we're feeling really mm-hmm. le- uh, lethargic and just like, let me have some potato chips, you know. Uh, <laughs> and when we're um, kind of, our body's feeling kind of rejarchic and we're attached, we're getting very attracted to, to the opposite sex or to the sense objects, and we know when our body is kind of in the mode of goodness we're we're getting a lot done we're very productive we're we're you know we're 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 um we've taken care of our we had enough rest we had nice not we didn't eat too much you know so we we feel that um but i just don't remember like hearing this like injection thing and that's why i kind of connected the injection thing which he does into the material world in the next verse because in the next verse there's this talk about the cosmos which is the main thing that i usually hear about the modes of material nature right they're um they're more all pervasive in the cosmos not only in our body but that's as far as i can get so definitely you got you know everything right your 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 um your um summary of that verse is very well done i just would like to get a little bit more understanding about this injection of the modes in the body
6: yeah, I think the key point there is the Lord revives all these qualities of material nature. He doesn't mm-hmm. inject it; he revives it, so they come alive. Basically, they're always there. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's what he's trying to say.
0: Yeah, that might. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Yeah, um, because we're just reviving from our previous lives, or, or, yeah. or if, or if we've been inert for a long time in Lord Brahma's body, right? You know, um, or uh, Mahavishnu's body. You know, then we again manifest. Yeah, good. Good. Other thoughts, questions, comments?
4: Hare Krishna? Yes. So, um, about the verse discussing the time factor. Yes. And how, uh, it favors, favors the demigods. My take was a little different. Okay. Than That's yours. Good. Um, because what I was thinking when I read that verse is that, um, the demigods are very attentive to time. Whereas demons tend to try to lord it over time or, uh, I'll do things in my own time or, <laughs> um, you know, time, you know, whenever I decide to do something or so, you know, that's not reality, but that's what, uh, persons with a demoniac temperament seem to uh, what do you think about that?
0: Well, I think it's interesting. I don't think that's what's being referred to here, but uh, I'll say that I think it's interesting.
4: Well, um, because because um, for example, um, if you take you know contemporary society, how do you get ahead? You get ahead by meeting deadlines. You get ahead by being on time rather than being late um you know doing doing things within an allotted period of time even even our advancement um you know if we're uh if we attend uh uh the lord's rt on time or if the Gujari uh presents his worship on time rather than rather than not on time. It seems just seems to me that that's, that element of the time factor has a lot to do with, um, as the Lord is pointing out, it has a lot to do with um, our situation in the, in the mode.
0: Um, so a devotee will be on time for Krishna, but I think a person in the mode of passion will be very conscious of time, like super, super, super. They write, they write all the books on management and,
4: uh, and, um, you know, uh. That's a good point. Their their goal, Christian. their, their, their goal is sense gratification if you're in the mode. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I took it more like the time factor, like Krishna says, uh, time I am the destroyer of all the worlds, that the death time factor is death for the demons and the,
4: the, uh, um like for like that's, Richard Sura. that's a very valid way to approach it i i that's
0: right yeah and I'm not saying yours is invalid I, I I said it's interesting and I have to think about it more okay is that fair anything else Are a question? Yes. You again I'm <laughs> yes I'm glad okay. to hear from you so much very good
5: very good. Thank you. So, um, I wanted to uh, revisit this analogy of electrician. Okay. Um, so, I want to share that uh, I think look at the sentence, the cost of the heating and cooling of the is the electrician's manipulation of the electrical energy, according to his desire. Um, so, I think uh, as you also said, the electrician as with regard to the verse, is the Supreme Lord okay? And uh, the electrical energy is the time factor, uh-huh. and the heating could be stattva guna, and the cooling could be tamoguna, and then the enjoyment is the uh enhancement of the Guna or the favor uh, that are given to demigods by the lord and the suffering is the annihilation of the asuras demons what was That's the last one? the last one suffering it's the annihilation the demons who are influenced by tamoguna, they're annihilated okay very
0: good yeah he well th- I, you know I, I thought about that and and heat and cold, you know, um, it depends. Heat is really wonderful in the in the winter, and cold is really wonderful in the summer.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, true. Yeah, that's uh, just uh, just one yeah. interpretation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it could just be a more general thing that heat and cold is like the th- uh, modes of material nature, without true, necessarily yeah. assigning one to one and
4: uh, yes, another to exactly. another. But uh, yeah,
0: very good. Thank you. Thank you for that, handy booky. Hare Krishna? Yes. Good
4: Prabhupada, Prabhupada also uses that same example when talking about uh, when devotees approach him and say, "What's how, since everything is Krishna's energy, how do we know what is uh, material and what is spiritual? And Prabhupada, I can't remember the places, but I've seen at least a few different places, and I know you have too, about how it's it's all his energy like the electrical energy and uh one the you know the spiritual energy and the material energy are just different uh manifestations of that energy
0: yeah
4: yeah when he's explaining like parashya
0: shakti avividha that yeah. krishna has so many energies okay let's go on verse 13 formally okay so now we're here uh i think it was Nandi Mukhi who brought this up, that now we're going to hear, or no, it was Suganda. Uh, Formally, O King, when Maharaj Pritchett was performing the Rajasuya sacrifice, the great sage Narada, responding to his inquiry, recited historical facts showing how the Supreme Personality of Godhead is always impartial, even when killing demons. In this regard, he gave a vivid example. O King, at the Rajasuya sacrifice, Maharaj uh, Yudhisthira, the son of Maharaj Pandu, personally saw Shishupala merge into the body of the Supreme Lord, Krishna. Therefore, struck with wonder, he inquired about the reason for this from the great sage Narada, who was seated there. While he inquired, all the sages present also heard him ask this question. Maharaj, you inquired. It is very wonderful that the demon Shishupala merged into the body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, even though extremely envious. This Sayuja Mukti is impossible to attain, even for a great transcendentalist. How, then, did the enemy of the Lord attain it? O great sage, we are all eager to know the cause for this mercy of the Lord. I have heard that formerly a king named Venu, last the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and that all the Brahmanas consequently obliged him to go to hell. Shishupal should have also been sent to hell. How then did he emerge into the Lord's existence? From the very beginning of his childhood, when he could not even speak properly, Shishupal, the most sinful son of Damagos, began blaspheming the Lord. And he continued to be envious of Sri Krishna until death. Similarly, his brother, Danta continued the same habits although these two men shishupala and dantaprakra repeatedly blaspheming the supreme personality of God lord vishnu krishna the supreme praman they were quite healthy indeed their tongues were not attacked 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 by white leprosy nor did they enter the darkest regions of hellish life we are certainly most surprised by this how is it possible for shishupala and dantaprakra pakra uh, in the presence of many exalted persons to enter very easily into the body of Krishna, whose nature is difficult to attain. This matter is undoubtedly very wonderful. Indeed, my intelligence has become disturbed just as the flame of a candle is disturbed by a blowing wind. Oh, Narada Muni, you know everything. Kindly let me know the cause of this wonderful event. Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, after hearing the request of Maharaj Yudhisthira, Narada Muni, the most powerful spiritual master, who knew everything, was very pleased. Thus he replied in the presence of everyone, taking part in the yajna. The great sage Sri Naradaji said, O king, blasphemy and praise, chastisement and respect are experienced because of ignorance. The body of the conditioned souls planned by the Lord for suffering in the material world through the agency of the material energy. That's a lot said there, right? Not, we are... We, it's ignorance to be affected by blasphemy and praise, chastisement and respect, but also it's very clear the body, our bodies are planned by the Lord for suffering in the material world. <laughs> My dear King, the conditioned soul being in the bodily conception of life considers his body to be his self and considers everything in relationship to the body to be his. Because he has this wrong conception of life, he is subjected to dualities like praise and chastisement. And finally, the verse we're going to study. Because of the bodily conception of life, the conditioned soul thinks that when the body is annihilated, the living being is annihilated. Okay, so that's pretty clear on that one. Lord Vishnu, the supreme personality of Godhead, is the supreme controller, the super soul of all living entities because he has no material body, he has no false conception of I and mine. It is therefore incorrect to think that he feels pleasure or pain when blessing or offered prayers. This is impossible for him. Thus, he has no enemy and no friend. He, uh, When he chastises the demons, it is for their good. And when he accepts the prayers of the devotees, it is for their good. He is affected neither by prayers or blasphemy. So the first thing I think was really important is in the third sentence, Prabhupada writes, uh, therefore, since Krishna has no material conception of life, how can he be affected by material prayers and accusations? Not like, you know, deeply spiritual, loving sentiments. And now I'm going to read the whole last paragraph. So uh, Prabhupada quotes this, a verse from the 16th chapter of the Gita. Those who are envious and mischievous, who are the lowest among men, are cast by me into the ocean of material existence, into various demoniac species of life. When the Lord punishes persons like demons, however, such punishment is meant for the good of the conditioned soul. The conditioned soul, being envious of the supreme personality of God, may accuse, accuse him, saying, Krishna is bad, Krishna is a thief, and so on. Krishna, being kind to all living entities, does not consider such accusations. Instead, he takes account of the conditioned souls chanting of Krishna, Krishna so many times. He sometimes punishes such demons for one life by putting them in the lower species. But then when they have stopped accusing him, they are liberated in the next life because of chanting Krishna's name constantly. So that, that's referring, obviously, to someone like Shishupal, not somebody who just says Krishna, Krishna a couple of times. Blasting the Supreme Lord or his devotee is not at all good for the conditioned soul. The Krishna, being very kind, punishes the conditioned soul in one lifetime for such sinful activities and then takes him back home, back to God. And then he gives the example, the vivid example for this uh, is Britrasura, who was formerly Chitraketu Maharaj, a great devotee. Because he derived Lord Shiva, the foremost of all devotees, he had to accept the body of a demon called Britra. But then he was taken back to God. Thus, when Krishna punishes a demon or conditioned soul, he stops that soul's habit of blaspheming him. And when the soul becomes completely pure, the Lord takes him back to God. So when he becomes completely pure, not like everyone gets the one lifetime program, obviously. We have that um, experience in, you know. I mean, we, we understand that we it's not that easy. But but and so the Pritrasura example, the um, Putana example, mm, the Shishupal example are all there. Um, so before we go, uh, oh, let me read one. Uh, I had um, a couple of verses I wanted to show you also. I'll share my screen. This is from Bhagavad Gita to kind of just solidify our, our understanding. Uh, here we go. So you can see that. Um, let me see if I can. There we go. Oh, so this is uh, from uh, Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9. Oh, Dhananjaya, all this work cannot bind me. I am ever detached from all these material activities, seated as though neutral. Purport, one should not think in this connection that the Supreme Personality of Godhead has no engagement. In the spiritual world, he is always engaged. In Brahma Sankhita, it is stated uh, he is always involved in his eternal, blissful spiritual activities, but he has nothing to do with these material activities. Material activities are being carried out by his different potencies. This is what we've been studying, right? The Lord is always neutral in the material activities of this created world. This neutrality is mentioned here by the word hudasina Vat. Although he has control over every minute detail of material activities, he is sitting as if neutral. The example can be given of a high court judge sitting on his bench. By his order, so many things are happening. Someone is being hanged. Someone is being put in jail. Someone is being awarded a huge amount of wealth. But still, he is neutral. Um, So then there was one other verse. If I can get it here. Can you see this still? Yeah. Nor does the Supreme Lord. This is from the fifth, cha- uh, fifth chapter, fifteenth verse of the Bhagavad Gita. Nor does the Supreme Lord assume anyone's sinful or pious activities. Embodied beings, however, bewildered because of ignorance, which are, are bewildered because of ignorance which covers their real knowledge. Kapit writes, the Sanskrit word Vibhu means the Supreme Lord who is full of unlimited knowledge, riches, strength, fame, beauty, and renunciation. He is always satisfied in himself, undisturbed by sinful or pious activities. He's not affected by the modes. He does not create a particular, this is very important. He does not create a particular situation for any living entity. But the living entity, bewildered by ignorance, desires to be put into certain conditions of life. And therefore his chain of action and reaction begins. Okay, so I just wanted to, so that, you know, what we're reading here, there's a connection with the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, any questions or comments on these points? Andy?
1: Yeah, uh, Paul. when I read that and it said he was absorbed into the body of the Lord, is that really top drawer treatment? I mean, obviously he escaped the cycle of birth and death, but can he serve the Lord being part of his body? In other words, it was amazing and wonderful, and he got a very good deal, right? But did he get the top tour? Uh,
0: <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right, and we're going to talk about right. that if there's time today oh. or next time. But you're absolutely right. Okay. No.
1: Yeah, that's kind uh, of almost like Maya He merged into yeah, the world. Yeah,
0: it's Sayujamukti. It's not uh, what anyone would like to be. It's uh, where the I think we mentioned this last week, where the um, subject and the object are one and the same. And who wants that? There's no reciprocation. There's no love. There's no rasa. There's no taste. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that, uh, what it means because, um, whether you know it or not, verse 31 is, um, and one of the most, it's a very, 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 very important verse. It may, you may just read it and say, Oh, okay. Interesting. But it's, um, believe it or not, or not believe it or not, but, uh, it is a very important verse in terms of um, understanding Raghunuga Bhakti, the higher practices of sadhana. And uh, if we have time, we'll talk about that today. Unless there's anything else, I'll move on then, because I can bring that up. I can start bringing that uh, in our conversation.
4: Just one thing. um, It really gave me a a new perspective on... um, what we were saying about the time factor before, um, and that is this, the, um, the incredible punishments that turn into great benedictions that Mm. Prabhupada was talking about in the purport, um, to the material way of thinking, uh, the biggest punishment is death. That's the end of everything. Um, being a material thinker, I know this very well, that, you know, there's nothing worse than, uh, punishment that ends in death. Uh, but, the perspective, is, that, Sushipal was punished, but then, uh, given the highest benefit, for his, uh, uh, meditation on the Lord, even in, anger. But, but for, for that one life, he was, uh, so we only, we don't think, materialists don't think in terms of lives. No. Lives, lives singular.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And that's why, you know, that point, that's why I was trying to make that point in terms of the cap, uh, capital punishment idea that, you know, um, there's different principles on which to base it. And, and the, point that Prabhupada is making is based on the principle of many lives and karma and our sojourn in this world and getting freed from the reactions to activities. And, and, and that's a, just like you're saying, Rudaspavu, that's not how most people are looking at the capital punishment um, uh, issue in the world. Right. They're looking at either from the idea of, you know, well, different people say, look at it differently, right? Some people say, you know, get these terrible people, out, out of this world they've committed so many you know it's only appropriate they get what they deserve an eye for an eye and then others anyway like the, i already mentioned it but you're right it's because it's 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 what is our the paradigm or the the lenses by which we're looking out at things okay okay now this this next point um and we have 14 minutes so i think we could uh, touch upon it maybe even conclude it but um uh so after talking about Shishupal, right? Uh, therefore, by enmity, Shishupal, like, or by devotional service, like Narada Muni, by fear, by affection, or by lusty desire, by all of these or any one of them, if a conditioned soul somehow or other concentrates, that's an important word here, his mind upon the Lord, the result is the same. For the Lord, because of his blissful condition uh, position, it's never affected by enmity or friendship. I'm going to keep going, though, and try to make this a whole package deal, these verses. Narnamuni continues, by devotional service, one cannot achieve such intense absorption in thought of the Supreme Personality of Godhead as one can through enmity towards him. That is my opinion. Now, here he's talking about general devotional service, like vaidi Bhakti. And we I think we all have this experience. Um, that as much as we focus on someone we love, sometimes someone who's our big enemy or is causing us a lot of trouble, our mind can really go to that person, can't it? Maybe we ever had that experience, right? Or even, you know, you know, what, like in this past four years, Democrats have thought of Donald Trump more than anybody on the planet, <laughs> so, right? Uh, so, um, yeah. You get, you get the idea that Narada Muni is saying here. Okay, let's continue. A grass worm confined to in a hole of a wall by a bee always thinks of the bee in fear and enmity and later becomes a bee simply because of such remembrance. Similarly, if the conditioned soul somehow or other think of Krishna, who is such it Ananda vigraha, they will become free from their sins, whether thinking of him as their worshipable Lord or as an enemy, because of constantly thinking of him, they will regain their spiritual bodies. Many, many persons have attained liberation simply by thinking of Krishna with great attention and giving up sinful activities. This great attention may be due to, may be due to lusty desires, inimical feelings, fear, affection, or devotional service. I shall now explain how one receives Krishna's mercy simply by concentrating one's mind upon him. And then the famous verse, My dear King Yudhisthira, the gopis by their lusty desires, Kansa by his fear, Shishupal and other kings by envy, the Yadus by their familial relationship with Krishna, you Pandavas by your great affection for Krishna, and we, the general devotees by our devotional service, have attained the mercy of Krishna. So, I'm going to refer now to the Nectar of Devotion, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and 15th chapter, oh, don't tell me I lost my, uh, I had my notes. I may have to refresh them. Hopefully that'll do it. Um, Why is that? It's open. Let's see if that works. Um, In the 15th chapter of Nectar of Devotion, it talks about uh, Raghunuga Sarana Bhakti. If you may, you, you should probably recall what Raghunuga Bhakti is. It's sometimes translated, Prabhupada, translated as spontaneous devotional service. And it's specifically, uh, experienced by the following the footsteps of the great devotees in Vrindavan, the Raghatmika devotees. raganuga is someone who follows anuga in the footsteps uh, of someone who has Raga who has uh, great, great devotion. So, um, uh, now, why is this not opening? I don't understand. I'll try it again a different way. Um, my notes on the nectar of devotion. So, the, the same destination, they all receive the same destination, isn't yes, meaning that... Uh, Oh, Krishna, what is going on? It was funny. I had this whole thing open. Uh, it says it's loading, but it doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of it. Um, all right. So, um, Rupa Goswami talks about this, um, verse and he quotes it to, uh, substantiate his statement that there are, well, first of all, that there's two types of ragamika devotees. One is the Gopis or the, uh, um, those, well, we know about the Gopis, those who have this, you know, a total absorption, Lord. And of course, you know, here the word is kamat by lusty desires. And we all know that that means by transcendental lusty desires, by their incredible, uh, you know, it's a Madhurya Lila, Madhurya ras and the other one is in this verse is uh the yadus who have a familial relationship so that's also considered uh so parts of dwarka and vrindavan are the two places that raga bhakti takes place so here are the two that are clearly raga bhakti are the uh the yadus by their familial relationship and the gopis and then rupa goswami says that make the Pandavas, they're kind of like on the cusp. <laughs> um, not, you know, they may or may not be in, in that category of Ragmark. And then Rupa Goswami goes on, to, well, first he says, it's not, it is not that inimical emotion, this is to answer um, um, Andy's question, it is not that inimical men- uh, emotions towards Krishna are being recommended. And then that's why the example of King Vena is is given, because he hated God, but unlike Kamsa and Shishupal, his mind was not absorbed in thought of the Lord. Therefore, his hatred just sent him to hell. But Kamsa was totally f- afraid of Krishna, right? And so always thinking of him. And Shishupal was always envious of him. So these are all examples of people whose minds were totally absorbed. The gopis, Kamsa out of fear, Shishupal out of envy, uh, the brishnis and yadavas out of, of uh, kinship, the pandavas out of affection, and Narada, Muni and everyone etc out of devotional service. So clearly fear and envy are not genuine raganuga Raga bhakti and Prabhupada therefore writes in the Nectar Devotion, the attraction of Kansa to Krishna in fear and the attraction of sishupala and envy are not accepted as devotional service, however, because their attitudes are not favorable. And then you might say, well, Muni is he a ragatmika devotee? And Narada's attachment is called bhakti." and Jiva Goswami says that uh, that the Sanskrit verb tenses used here indicate that Narada's devotional service arises from a sense of duty. Thus, it is vaiti bhakti and not counted in terms of raganuga. And then about the Pandavas, the affection of the Pandavas may or may not be ragatmika, uh, Raganduga bhakti, uh, ragatmika bhakti, depending on whether or not it is mixed with awe and reverence. Generally, it is mixed with a mood of reverence, which introduces restraints of formal etiquette that hinder ragatmika Bhakti. However, when this reverence sometimes subsides, then the affection can be. Prabhupada writes, again, he analyzes the affection of the Yadus. If it is on the platform of friendship, then it is spontaneous love. But if it is on the platform of regulated principles, then it is not. Okay. And then they explain, you know, the achieving the same goal, the, the answer that Andy, the question that Andy, Andy was directly answering, that um, Rupa Goswami says that um, there, he gives the analogy of sunshine, Brahman, and the sun globe, Bhagavan. And the demons and the devotees both achieve the same goal, meaning Krishna. However, the demons achieve Brahman aspect of Krishna, whereas the gopis achieve the highest Bhagawan realization of Krishna. Uh, and there's more, but I think that's. I just wanted to really highlight that it's uh, this is a very important verse, and this point is you know from 26 to 31, uh, some really really important points are being made here but it's I, I find it also just incredible how rupa rupa goswami takes this verse 31 and explains spontaneous love through this verse and who's on that level and who's, who isn't some questions or
2: comments aganishna prabhu
0: yes shakshi so
2: one common thing came to my mind even though they have had uh, they were giving examples about hatred and envy and all that stuff they all believe in krishna
0: okay yes yeah so in in different ways yes
2: yes they believe in Krishna and uh, when we say demons when we refer demons as a Vaishnavas I got a misconception is that they don't believe in Krishna and uh, uh, those we call them as demons uh, are like uh, you know that that was my, my my head was going in that direction
0: well, I'm not sure if Shishu, I'd have to think of Shishubal and Kangsa, if they believed that Krishna was the Supreme Lord, they were totally f- afraid and envious of him. Um, one definition of demons is people who are prasandis, people who don't believe um, in Krishna. Um, and Abha Mamudha Manasim tanamasvita, right? The persons who think that Krishna's body is is material. Um, I'd have to think more about whether Kansa fits into that category. Kansa is this huge, super powerful person, and yet he's afraid of Krishna. So he might have been thinking of him not as, certainly not as an ordinary person. Yeah. Thank you. Now, verse 26, by the way, goes on probably, I, 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 I skipped over it, but it, the purport goes on to great lengths to make sure we know that um we should serve Krishna favorably, anukul, and not, you know, follow the footsteps of Sishupal or Kamsa. <laughs> right? And that's why I, I tried to bring up that point at the end, that the same destination, as Andy very rightly brought up, is not a, it's, it's the same in terms of Advaya Gyan, um, the absolute, but there's a big difference between Brahman and Bhagavan realization. Okay, so that was a bit philosophical, but uh, good points. We will uh, continue next week and probably finish this chapter. And I hope you have a wonderful uh, week in Krishna consciousness. Uh, Shiva Ratri is coming up. Uh, a wonderful day to, again, you know, it's so amazing how Lord Shiva is, is portrayed in the Bhagavatam. Uh, different than the Shiva Purana and other places he's portrayed so again and again as as a devotee of krishna and and as uh, as in his connection to krishna right he he's it's interesting he plays kind of a somewhat minor role in the Shishupal Vritrasura, lila right but a major role uh, uh, yeah, and even not a completely fully central role in the whole Daksha yagi a very important role there. Daksha Yoga and and his wife and Sati and and yeah that whole that whole thing. Okay, Hare Krishna. Student. See you in a week. Thank
4: you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. <laughs>